0: Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you did teach us about uh, what is to come. Uh, Lord, you taught us uh, through your teaching, and also you taught us through, uh, Lord, the prophecy of Daniel, and we pray that we would understand it, take heed, and become wise in the process. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated wherever you are. And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to get it out and turn to Daniel chapter 12. It's also printed in your bulletins. Well, let's see. You don't have bulletins unless you downloaded it, Um, but I'm sure the words will appear on the screen. Um, So Daniel chapter 12, this is our last sermon in a series on the book of Daniel. And we're going to talk about what the future holds. So if you knew one year ago what would happen in 2020, how would you have prepared? about that. If you knew in November of 2019, what would come in the next year, how would you have prepared uh, last year? If you knew that COVID would turn our world upside down, if you knew that racial unrest and a divisive election was in store, how would you have taken action? Um, Maybe you would have just gone right out and bought up all of your favorite kinds of toilet paper and canned goods. It could be that you would have like, gathered with as many people as possible, like, even though maybe you're an introvert. And um, it would have been like, I want to go to every dinner party I'm invited to. I want to hug every person on the street. Not going to wear a mask. I'm going to dine indoors. I'm going to dine in basements. Um, and uh, maybe you would have bought stock in Zoom. Some of you have been like, why didn't I buy stock in Zoom? Why didn't I buy stock in pharmaceutical companies that are making vaccines? Maybe you would have signed a lease on a larger apartment or or house. Maybe you would have learned conflict management skills and practiced them with your extended family last Thanksgiving. You could have done that. Or Maybe you would have made friends outside of your ethnic group and, and broadened your horizons and deepened your understanding. If we knew what was ahead, we would have been better prepared. Now, prophecy... Uh, is a gift from God to help us prepare for the future. That's what prophecy is. The whole point of prophecy is not to predict events with precision so that we know which stocks to buy. That would be insider trading and very unethical. The whole point of prophecy is to rightly interpret reality, both our past, our present, and our future. Because God has an interpretation of it that often differs from ours, and so he gives us prophecy so that we can match our interpretation with his. And then when we respond to the prophecy, we can can respond to it and become wise. We can become wise. Now, as I mentioned, we've been studying the book of Daniel, and it ends with a word of prophecy. Um, this, This word of prophecy tells us about three moments that are just over the horizon. The first two moments, everyone in history will face, regardless of belief system, regardless of their their life or behavior. But then there's a third moment, and it's a reward for anyone who is prepared, anyone who's wise. It's a relief. It's a privilege. um, It's it's the happy ending that we all long for. And my hope is that we would all be made wise. Everyone tuning in would be made wise by paying attention to these three moments, Um, and so let's be prepared for the future, for what we will be facing, for what's to come. We, weren't, we didn't know what was happening in 2020, but we can know what's happening beyond 2020. So what does the future hold? First, the future holds a moment of trouble. The future holds a moment of trouble. Here are the words spoken to Daniel from a heavenly messenger. The heavenly messenger says this to Daniel, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. So Daniel hears that despite all his people have been through, which is exile, in some cases imprisonment, death, incredible loss, that more suffering is on the horizon and that it will be even worse than what they experienced as exiles in Babylon. We know from history that this prophecy was fulfilled. About 500 years after it was given to Daniel by the river there, the temple in Jerusalem was desecrated in a grotesque and unforeseen way. Many Jewish leaders suffered horribly during that time. And then after that horrible desecration, the Romans dominated the Jewish people. Um, and then at one point, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the entire temple, even though it had been completely rebuilt, was utterly destroyed yet again. And, and yet, one thing that happened was this moment of trouble that was being predicted here would usher in God's good purposes. Look at verses six and following. Then someone, this is a, an, an, another angel, but this angel doesn't really know what's going to happen. Someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. So here's a a heavenly messenger, and he's floating above a river. He raises his right hand, and then he raises his left hand towards heaven, and then swears by him who lives forever, that's God, that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Let's pause. It's worth saying that when things are going well for us, it feels like God's blessing is on us. It feels like finally God's blessing is coming through, that our prayers are being answered. When we're successful, when we're popular, When we're wealthy and when evil people are held accountable, it feels like God is on the move. Yet in verse 7, it says that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, that God's purposes would be fulfilled. This only makes sense in light of Jesus Christ. His greatest triumph looked on the surface to be his greatest defeat. When his Power was shattered. He was unjustly condemned by state and religious religious authorities. He was placed on a Roman cross. He was cut off from his father's presence, felt presence. He was mocked. He was shamed. Jesus was the kindest, most holy, and loving man who ever lived. He was God's very son, yet his power was shattered. And it was through that very moment of trouble that our deliverance came, that our greatest hope came. Through that moment, our sins can be forgiven, even now. And because Jesus, after that death, rose from the dead, and because he is alive now, he offers to walk with us in our moment of trouble, which is coming, no matter how painful that moment is. He can redeem your suffering and your trauma just like his father redeemed his suffering and his trauma. He can make sense of it for you. He can heal you. A moment of trouble is coming for you and for me. It's coming for our loved ones, our friends, our children, our grandchildren, if we have them, our church, our coworkers, neighborhood, city, and world. A moment of trouble is coming, and we will suffer. It could be another pandemic. It could be a war or a famine or even a painful rejection from someone we love. We will have setbacks every last one of us. Eventually we will die. Yet we can rightly say that it is a moment. It's a moment. God has mercifully reduced our suffering, making it sweeter and less severe than it would be otherwise. It's interesting. The messenger says that it will be for a time, times, and half a time. Later, he says that it will be for 1,290 days. How precise. These are both references to three and a half years. Now, in the ancient Near East, they thought of a complete time of suffering as a seven-year period. And so to say that the moment of suffering would be for three and a half years is very likely a symbolic way of communicating the momentary nature of the trouble. Like a judge that cuts a sentence in half, God is mercifully reducing human suffering So that it's not as bad as it has to be. It reminds me of an old saying uh, that parents like to talk about the days are long and the years are short. The days are long and the years are short. It's so true. I was flipping through this week some old Christmas cards that we've sent out over the years. And just flipping through, I I was taken aback. My kids grow up so fast. Laura said to me this week, looking at an old picture, Aaron, wow, look how much hair you had back then. The days are long. Sometimes it seems like they'll never end when when it gets hard and when you're slogging through a difficult project or when there's another diaper to change. But the years are short. They go so quickly. It seems like a moment. Our years pass so quickly like a breath, like a flower of the field that blossoms and then fades the same day. Our days are numbered by God. Our moments of trouble are numbered by God. He knows exactly how long we will suffer. And God reduces the severity of our suffering and then adds to them his own sweet companionship, his friendship and his grace. A moment of trouble is is coming. The comfort we have is that it gives way to God's grace. It gives way to God's victory. It gives way to everything he's planned for us in his goodness. As we've seen in 2020, though, a moment of trouble does not stay a moment of trouble. It becomes something else. It becomes a moment of truth. It becomes a moment of clarity. It has a a way of ushering in something very important Isn't it interesting how the trouble of 2020 has ushered in this moment of truth? Who knew that a pandemic would reveal the deep secrets of the heart? Who knew that the death of George Floyd would expose the racism hidden in plain sight? I wonder for you what this moment of trouble has taught you about yourself, about your limits and commitments, your resiliences, your temptations, your priorities. A moment of truth is when deep hidden things emerge to the surface and become clear, become visible. Invisible allegiances and commitments become visible. People are less inclined to sort of play games and live in ambiguity. They're more emboldened and and motivated to say, this is what's important to me. This is what I want to do. This is what I will give my life to. And 2020 has been a foretaste of the moment of truth that is coming for all of us. Here's how the messenger describes it to Daniel in the second half of verse one. Um, He says, but at that time, that is the moment of trouble. Your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Verse two, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This moment of truth um, is described here as a global awakening where things that were previously seen as grotesque are revealed to be beautiful and things that were previously uh, thought to be, uh, to be beautiful are actually revealed to be contemptuous and grotesque. Maybe you've been awakened. I don't know if you've ever been wake, uh, awakened in the early, the wee morning hours by a parent or by an alarm alarm or um, by some sort of emergency, by a phone call. Ready or not, it's time to get up. And the condition that you wake up in is the condition that you walk around in. Um, So here's what happens at the end of history. It's revealed to Daniel. Imagine everyone in human history is sleeping in their graves. Their life is over. Their commitment has been sealed. And along comes the Son of Man. His voice is the voice of many waters. It sounds like a great multitude when he speaks. And in John 5, he said that he would speak and he would wake people up. And some people would be be wakened up to everlasting life and some people would be wakened up to everlasting death. Um, We will all be summoned from the graves. We will stand before God's judgment throne. Jesus himself will summon us, wake us up from our sleep and we will experience God's holiness like we've never experienced before. We will experience his great love like we've never experienced before. And everything that we've become experts at hiding in our own life and in our own heart, things we've forgotten about, things we don't like to think about, will emerge, like it or not, to the surface. Some will awake to everlasting life. Their names will have been written in God's book. Someone, or everyone who called on the name of Jesus Christ to save them, to forgive them, will enjoy life with him forever. And on that day, they will be filled with gratitude for the blood of Jesus that covered their sins. We will never be more grateful for the cross of Jesus than on that day. It will be so precious to us. Now, some, the messenger says, will awake to shame and everlasting contempt. If you, in the end, detest God's love, if, in the end, you do not want God's rule, you do not want God's kingdom, his Power makes you feel resentful and angry, and you resist it. He will not force you into his kingdom. If you insist on finding meaning and salvation aside from God, he will say in the end to you, thy will be done. Jesus, as he did in our gospel text today, frequently taught on hell, not because Jesus is mean, but because Jesus is kind, and he wanted us to be ready. Hell is a place beyond the reach of God's love and holiness. And if you were listening to the sermon, you are not not, um, uh, beyond the reach of God's love and holiness. In the end, there is no ambiguity. There is ambiguity now for many people. But in the end, there will be no ambiguity. Some will awake to everlasting life, and some will awake to everlasting contempt. Now, if this sounds harsh and unloving to you, and I can understand why it would, I want you to consider the alternative. Consider that there will never be a moment of truth coming for human history. Consider that the arc of the universe cannot bend towards justice because there's no arc to bend in the first place. Consider that the earth will never give up her dead and the secrets they keep. What if history has no meaning other than the strong eat the weak and then they pretend it never happened? So much that currently appears to us To be just and right is actually deeply unjust because it's been so well hidden. We need this moment of truth. We long for this moment of truth, a final reckoning. We need God to reveal our secrets. He intends for it to be a relief and a joy and a moment of grace. Now, maybe you're listening to this sermon, and you're at the place where you're right on that line where you really do want to be ready. You, don't, you know that you're not ready, but you want to be ready. You don't want to be caught off guard. You want to be wise. You're asking, how do I get ready for this moment of truth? Here's how you get ready, plain and simple. You just tell God, you, like speak from your heart, God, I want to be ready on that final day. Please forgive my sins. Please forgive my secrets. Carry them even. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, through Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, make me a new creature, make me ready for eternal life, make me clean from the inside out, give me that eternal life now, and help me live for you for the rest of my life. And then, after you take that step of prayer, get in touch with us, become baptized, enter the process where the church can actually teach you how to follow Jesus in this life, And he will do it. All he wants is your willingness and your open heart. He invites our unworthiness. He invites our foolishness. He invites us to come to him. God does not force anyone to come to him. He invites, he calls, he pleads because he wants us to be ready. That's why he spoke these words to Daniel. So, what does the future hold? A moment of trouble. I guarantee you it's coming. A moment of truth. It's coming, too. And you know this was coming. This is the alliterative moment, okay? A moment of transfiguration is coming. A moment of transfiguration is coming for the wise. Now, what does transfiguration mean? I didn't just choose it because it starts with T. Um, Transfiguration refers to a state of honor before God and with God. You've seen people honored uh, maybe at a wedding or an award ceremony or a parade. You might notice that those who are being honored are like beaming. You have a sense that they have a straightened spine. They're, They're like smiling as widely as possible. And there's just this sense of like radiance coming from their face and radiance coming from their body. It's a state of, as it were, transfiguration. Transfiguration is when we are beaming from every pore of our being, especially through the marks of our suffering, the things we've endured faithfully, the moments of gold and glory that Jesus put inside of us when he had us in this life, in this moment of training. Um, You keep your distinct identity, and yet you shine from the inside out with God's very light and God's very character. And you do it in community with a whole host of others who are also being transfigured. This is an honor reserved for the wise who are ready for the first two moments. So verse three describes this moment of transfiguration. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn uh, many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now the imagery here is of the night sky. The sky is inky and dark, But that only serves to highlight the brightness of the moon and the stars. And this is a picture of the church at worship even now. All around the church is darkness and suffering and sin and pain. That's the night sky. Yet the church isn't swallowed up by or overcome by that darkness because her face is turned towards Jesus Christ, the light of the world from whom all glory emanates, from whom all light begins. And from him comes everything bright and beautiful. And it's all soaked up by the church. It's soaked up by those who are suffering. They're being transfigured. The church is orbiting around him, adoring his beauty and reflecting it back in her worship and in her obedience. Now, one day this moment of trouble will pass. The inky darkness will be no more. It'll be swallowed up in death. But the light will burn all the brighter. The gold and glory that was formed inside of us from Jesus through the trouble, that will remain. And that's why the wise are transfigured now because they want the gold and they want the glory. They want that which will last. This week I heard a church historian talk about a man named Cyprian. Cyprian was a church leader. He was a bishop, a pastor in the third century. The third century was one of the cruelest, most horrific periods for the church in terms of suffering. They also had pandemics, but there was no vaccine. They also had very real persecutions. For instance, Christians were sewn shut inside bags filled with snakes, and those bags were tossed in rivers um, so that they would drown uh, a horrible death. Others were exiled, They were put in prison among rats and refuse and disease. You can imagine the pressure on the church and the pressure on Cyprian who sought to to lead the church through that period, through that suffering. You can imagine how difficult it would have been to like stay the course, to stay present, to, to declare that Jesus reigns. Yet just like us, they also had Daniel chapter 12 to help them interpret all of it in light of God's greater plan. Cyprian did not say, this suffering is good. But he saw his vocation as good, his calling to endure the suffering and all the gold and glory that the suffering would produce was good. And so he lived faithfully through it as a very good calling from God. This is what he encouraged his disciples to do. Fulfill your call in your moment in history one day at a time. He encouraged them, and in fact, every single day is a collapsing of all three of these moments. That's how they got through it. They got through it one day at a time. Every day is a moment of trouble, quickly passing. Every day for a follower of Jesus is a moment of truth. Who has your allegiance? Where are your commitments? And every day is also a moment of transfiguration for the wise to worship and adore Jesus through obedience and and commitment Every day is a moment for gold and glory to be formed inside of us, every day. People of God, Emmanuel Anglican, I know this has been an incredibly difficult year, bewildering, perhaps the toughest year you have lived through in your entire life. I know you've lost so much real things and you're discouraged. I plead with you, to shine like stars now, shine like stars in the universe, though you are surrounded by inky blackness and you feel the blackness in your own soul sometimes. I plead with you to turn to Jesus in your suffering rather than away from him. This moment will not last long. The days are long, but the years are short. For those who endure, for those who do not give way to the temptations of the moment, who do not quit, there is a great reward. For those who feel discouraged by your own sufferings and sin, the Lord is merciful. He's merciful for you. He loves you. Come to him. Give what remains of 2020. Give what remains of this trial. It doesn't matter where you've been through this trial. You can just come to him now and start afresh, start anew. Participate in worship every week. Open your life Every day to the presence of Jesus, he's ready to meet with you and strengthen you and sweeten your suffering. He is ready to strengthen your heart so that you can endure this trial. We can shine like stars even now. The wise will be transfigured. I keep hearing stories of people from Emmanuel who are engaging with friends and neighbors who need healing, who who are spiritually open they're open to prayer. They're open to meals, socially distance, of course. They're open, to, they're open to conversation. The light of Christ that we celebrate every Advent is no longer being hidden under a bushel, let's just say, because I keep hearing stories that the light is being shared freely and, and graciously. And I ask you to pray that the Lord multiplies these stories and gives you some stories of your own. Pray he gives you an opportunity to shine his light in a tangible way. We don't just shine in worship, we shine in mission. The movie of Gods and Men," I saw this week, it tells the story of nine Trappist monks who served the needs of their Muslim neighbors in Algeria in the 1990s. They were men of peace. They were men of, of goodness, they were men of prayer. They were gardeners, and one was a doctor, another was, did legal work. They uh, lived in a peaceful village. Uh, And they were men of peace, but a civil war in Algeria was brewing. And the violence crept closer and closer to both the village and the monastery. Terrorism crept closer and closer. Their life was threatened. And these men had a choice. They could stay at their post with the villagers, which would mean exposure to kidnapping and death, or they could flee to their home country of France. France. So these men prayed, they struggled, they discerned together in community, they reflected on the light of Christ, and together, each of them decided, I will stay. I will stay. This is where God has called me. They stayed at their post so they could shine the light of Christ. There's a scene in the mo- close to the end of the movie where there's a, a, a military helicopter hovering over their monastery, getting closer and closer to them. And these Trappist monks were gathered in the chapel. They were clothed in white robes. Their leader called them to rise and began to sing a Gregorian chant. They lifted up their voices and they sang with trembling voices together these words. "O father of light, eternal light and source of all light, you illuminate us at the threshold of night with the radiance of your face. The shadows for you are not shadows. For you, night is as clear as the day. May our prayers rise before you like incense and our hands like the evening offering. Now you might call these men fools, just a bunch of fools, yet Daniel would call them wise. Why? When their moment came, these seven men were ready to be transfigured together. They turned their faces toward the light of Christ and were made like him in his death. And... They were made like him in his witness. The Lord made them shine for their village and for Algeria and for their families back in France and even for us today. As they were eventually kidnapped, seven of them, and led to a death. We don't know how they died, but they were never seen again. But they are seen now. They are transfigured now. And they cheer us on now, along with all the company of heaven, so that we can be faithful in our day What does the future hold? It holds Jesus Christ, the Lord over our troubles, the Lord of truth, the Lord who will transfigure us now and forever. Let the wise hear and turn to him. While there is still an opportunity, while we still have breath, we know what's coming. The wise will prepare. What the Lord told Daniel, let us hear for ourselves the final verse of all of Daniel. Daniel 12, chapter, or chapter 12, verse 13, but go your way till the end. Go your way till the end. Stay at your post, Daniel. Do your job. Write down everything that you've heard. Finish the task, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. At the end of days, may we be standing in our allotted place, transfigured before the Lord of glory.